Father, as we continue to worship you now, we, we confess the fact that you are everything to us. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You're the power that we need in our life to, to live and to be sustained. And God, we lift up your name this morning just recognizing the fact that you are the one defense that we have when the enemy comes against us in life. You are the one defense that we have when the, the, the things of the world press down upon us. And so we bow before you right now in worship. And we thank you that you are that one defense that we need. You are our righteousness. You are all we need to stand holy before you. And as we open up your word this morning and continue to worship and praise you and glorify your name, I pray that, that you will draw us close to you, that you'll help us to see you for who you are, the almighty, perfect, holy, righteous, forgiving God. And we come into your presence right now and we continue to lift up your name. We continue to worship you through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we continue to worship. Amen. Thank you this morning for being with us. And I invite you to open up your Bible with me this morning to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians chapter 3. As uh, those of you who have regularly been worshiping with us know, we've been working through this little book the last couple of months. And uh, last Sunday, we looked at the first 11 verses in Colossians chapter 3. So as our children leave and go back to the place where they will continue to enjoy their worship experience, uh, we want to invite you to open up your Bible and uh, we'll continue with verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3 uh, that you've heard read already this morning. In 1938, the United States Congress recognized veterans of World War I with a holiday that was called Armistice Day. Uh, it commemorated the end of World War I on November the 11th, 1919. Then in 1954, following World War II and the Korean War, uh, Armistice Day was changed to Veterans Day to honor veterans of all American wars. Uh, this weekend, we joined as one nation under God and celebrated all veterans. I want to ask you if you're here today and you are a veteran, would you please stand and stand, take standing for just a few minutes? Would you stand up if you're, if you're a veteran? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you'll remain standing just for a moment, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to thank you for your service. Can y'all stay standing up just a minute? I know this is hard uh, for you guys, uh, but you put uh, blood and sweat and tears into defending our country and to creating an environment for us to be able to do what we're doing here today, to be able to freely worship uh, in our country that is one nation under God. And so I want to take just a moment and I want, to, I want to pray for you and I want to thank God for you. God, thank you today. Once again, as we lift up your name, I thank you for the men and women in our church and in our community who stood and fought for us, who stood behind us, the principles of this country, a country that was founded on uh, your name and one nation under God. And God, I thank you for their investment. I thank you for the, the lives that they live today uh, representing freedom. And I pray that all of us would have grateful hearts for those who have allowed us the opportunity to live in a country where we do have the freedom to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, for your service for us. Well, last Sunday... Uh, we covered the first 11 verses, as I said earlier, of Colossians chapter 3. And we discovered that becoming a believer in Jesus Christ changes our life from the inside out. And we want to celebrate that today. We recognize the fact as believers that we are in a war. Every day of our life, we are in spiritual warfare. And 
We learned last week that in this war that we fight, in the battles that we fight in life, we're given a new power, a new authority, and a new identity. Uh, we have a new commander in our life. He orders us to put off the old ways of the world and put on the new ways of walking in godliness, walking in our faith. He then orders us as we put on these new ways to have new ways of thinking, which result in new ways of acting. And so here's where we come today, looking at the very practical application of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to believe and put our life in Jesus Christ and join in the battle for fighting this war that we call life. See, believers draw life from Jesus and are sustained by life in Jesus. So I want you to keep your Bible open this morning and follow with me as we pick up with verse 12 in Colossians chapter 3 uh, and look at what it means for a believer to live in the name of Jesus. Alive in the name of Jesus, I believe, means four things that we see straight from this passage today. First of all, believers have a new identity in Jesus. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, knowing Jesus creates a new identity in our life and through our life. When you become a believer in Jesus, the process actually begins for you every day to look more and more and more like Jesus. People who have known you all your life will look at you and they will see a different identity in you because you have a new commander. You have a new source of life inside yourself. And as our new commander, Jesus not only tells us what to do, He models what we are to do. He demonstrates what we are to do. Are you aware that uh, you were created by God? God created you to be exactly who you are at this particular time, this particular place in life. And only the God who created you in the first place can recreate you. And when you come to identify with Jesus by faith in Him, through the grace that He offers you, then you take on His identity. You take on a new identity in Christ. Relationship with Jesus changes, transforms who you are. He transforms your identity. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at this identity that we have in Christ. See, when you and I were born, we were born into sin. We were born with a sin nature, a worldly nature. And by nature, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, through His grace and mercy, has given us new life and a new identity in Jesus Christ. And here's what that new identity looks like. Look at verse 12. Believers are chosen ones, holy and beloved. Three things. First of all, we're chosen by God in John chapter 15 and verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now being chosen by God is, a, is an awesome position, and it's not based on our merit. It's not based on anything that we've done to deserve being chosen by Him. God chose us because God wanted to choose us. And that's a special place for you to understand that God has chosen you uh, to be His. I don't deserve to be chosen by God. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I don't think you deserve to be chosen by God either. But God chose you by His grace. He gave you faith to believe in Him if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And being chosen by Jesus means this. There's nothing you've ever done that God has not forgiven you for. Nothing. 
You're chosen by God and forgiven by God from the sin that separated you from God. And it's only because of Jesus. It's nothing you've done. The Bible says that it's by grace that you have been saved. By, By grace that you've been saved through faith. Nothing that you've done. Not of any works that you've done. It's a free gift of God. We tend to label people in our world today by according to race and language and social status. Uh, Last week we recognized in verse 11 that being chosen by God in Jesus means that we all stand on equal ground before Jesus. Verse 11, look at it, it says, In Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and in all. What does that mean? When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust Him as your Savior, everybody is at an equal place before the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest wonder that one could ever have in this world. When when several of us were in Zambia a few months ago, we went to one of the seven wonders of the world. We passed it almost every day, the Victoria Falls. Almost every day we passed it. But you know what the greatest wonder in all the world is? It's not some natural event in this world, not something God created here. The greatest wonder in all the world is for God to choose you to be identified as His. And so we celebrate that today. But not only are believers chosen by God in Jesus and accepted by God to be chosen, we're also holy as we stand before God. I don't know about you, but I know my life is anything but holy. (laughs) There's nothing inside of me that is holy other than Jesus Christ, my Savior. My holiness is totally 100% based on the identity that I have in Jesus. Being chosen by God establishes you and draws you to be welcomed into God's holy presence. You can't stand in the presence of God if you're not holy. So does that mean that it's hopeless? No. It means that when Jesus Christ becomes our Savior and Lord, when we believe in Jesus, His holiness becomes our holiness. And we have total access to God because of the holiness that we have in Jesus Christ. We have a couple of people in our church who are serving in the army. Uh, Nick is serving now. Sophie was serving. Now she's serving in the National Guard. When they were uh, sworn into the, the army, they were given a special clearance as uh, to serve the purpose that they had to serve in in our our military a special security clearance that gave them access to classified information and classified places that the average soldier can't have and can't go the average citizen can't have the information they have can't go where they can go they have that very special security clearance When Jesus Christ comes into your heart and life, when you become a believer in Christ, listen to this. You have special security clearance to enter the presence of God. Anytime, anywhere, anyplace, God is there with you and you have access to His presence. You have access to all the benefits of Jesus standing in the presence of God. So the Bible says you're chosen, you're holy, not in yourself. It's not holiness in yourself other than through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But when you become a believer and accepted by God as holy based on the holiness of Jesus, you're given access to God. And then verse 12 also says you're chosen, you're holy, and you're beloved. There's no greater privilege in life than to be loved by someone. No greater privilege in life. And the highest position in life that you could possibly have is to be loved by God, your maker, your creator, your savior. 
You're beloved in the sight of God. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel to be chosen by God and be holy in the holiness of Jesus Christ through the relationship we have with Him and be loved by God. But it should put you on cloud nine today. It should put you above everything that comes at you to attack you in this life today because you're loved by God. You're His beloved. Being beloved by God means that He has done all that He could possibly do for you at the highest cost for you. He gave His life to show you how much He loved you. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this, and a man would lay down his life for his friends. What a great love that God has demonstrated towards you. When you're beloved by someone, that means they do what is in your best interest in your life to demonstrate their love for you. It might not always be what I want for God to demonstrate His love for me, but it's what I need. It's what I need most. So your identity is a gift from God. God saved you while you were still a sinner. God chose you and gave you His new identity as His chosen one. And made you holy on behalf of Jesus. And made you his beloved. That's a special position. A special identity to have in life. And I trust and pray that. That you've come to realize that. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do anything to work for it. It's a free gift of God. Faith in Jesus is a free gift of God. If you've never accepted that gift, I pray that you'll accept that new identity that you can have in Christ today. Secondly, alive in His name means that believers have new attributes in Jesus. An attribute is something that shows on the outside who you are on the inside. And so verse 12 goes on and continues. He says, put on then as God's chosen, holy, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are five attributes that a believer has. That when the pressure of life squeezes you, these attributes are going to come out. So what are they? Let's look at them. First of all, put on compassionate hearts, he says. A compassion... And a compassionate heart is when you have a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for someone who is hurting. But it's more than that. It's a strong desire that you have not just to feel the suffering that a person is going through, but to try to alleviate that suffering. And that's what God has given the ability for the Christian to have, a compassionate heart. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13, the Bible says when Jesus saw the crowd, his heart was moved with compassion. Jesus cares about people. He cares about the suffering and the pain that people experience. The Bible says he looked and he saw the crowd and he had compassion, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. In Mark chapter 10, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Jesus was running toward Jerusalem, knowing that that same week he was going to be crucified. He was going to be tortured, spat upon, beaten, and crucified. That was his mission. That was his purpose for coming into this world. To sacrifice his life so that you could have eternal life. He was running toward Jerusalem. He was out in front of his disciples is the picture that Mark paints. He was running toward Jerusalem. And this blind man stops him. And asks Jesus to heal him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus had compassion on him. And Jesus healed blind Barnabas knowing that he was headed on a mission. He stopped long enough to heal him. See, before, before you can put on the attributes of Jesus, you have to put off the attributes of this world. And the world would say, 
oh, I've got better things to do than be compassionate about somebody. I have better things to do than, than, than stop and help somebody who may need maybe a need. That's what the world would say. You, you need to stick with headed toward your purpose. But before you can put on the attributes of Jesus, you have to put off the attributes of this world. So what do you put off so you can put on compassion? Well, Paul has already explained this. He says in the first part of this, this chapter, he says idolatry and selfishness are sins that must be put out and put off before you can put on compassion. Before you can look at the needs of other people, you have to put off the things that, you know, may be selfish. You may want to do as a priority over being compassionate. But when you become a believer in Christ, God gives you a compassionate heart. There are three different areas that God gives you a compassionate heart. The first one is spiritual. The spiritual compassion is cared enough about people to share the gospel with them. To pray with a person. To pray for the person. There's a physical compassion that you have to put on. It's when you see somebody needs food or needs clothing or needs shelter or needs transportation. And you provide that for someone. There's an emotional compassion that you put on for people when you, you share their grief with them. You come alongside someone who's going through a struggle. And you just be there with them. You listen actively to what their pain is, what they have to share. Maybe sometimes you don't even say anything. You just be there with them. That is emotional compassion. So we have physical compassion, emotional compassion, and spiritual compassion. But you know, every time Jesus heals somebody physically, what did he say when he healed somebody physically? He always said to them, go and sin no more. He cared about them physically, but he also cared primarily about them spiritually. He said, your sins are forgiven, now be healed. <laughs> your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. And so compassion must be put on if we're going to be more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. We have to be passionate about the deepest need that people have, and that is the spiritual need that people have. In our small group this past Tuesday night, someone said in our small group, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And compassion is a part of the life of the believer that we put on. So if you were to be evaluated today, would you be considered a compassionate person? So in verse 12, he says, put on kindness. Put on compassionate hearts, then put on kindness. Now, before you can put on kindness, you have to put off a spirit of meanness or animosity or hatred or hostility or ill will or revenge. Um, if you look back up at verse 5, you see the, the Bible says, put to death what is earthly in you. What is earthly means that the, the way of the world says I have my rights. I have to protect myself. I have to look out for myself so that I don't get walked over. But when believers are focused on becoming like Jesus, we deal with our own sin and we're not unkind to other people in allowing God to deal with them in their sin. Jesus said it this way. You know, Jesus had a sense of humor. Jesus said, I want you to picture this. Jesus said, take the telephone pole out of your own eye before you try to take the little speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. <laughs> take the log out of your own eye before you take the little speck of sawdust out of somebody else's. I have enough sin to deal with in my own life to be overly concerned about judging somebody else and 
and their sin. Let God be the judge of somebody else's sin. So making all of life about Jesus results in treating fellow church members and those who need to hear the gospel with kindness. It says, put on compassion, kindness, put on humility. What is humility? Well, humility is having the attitude that no one else is better than anyone else. You're not better than anyone else. That's the attitude of humility. John, uh, James chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says, Humble yourself before the mighty arm of God, and at the proper time He will lift you up. Whose responsibility is it for you to humble yourself? <laughs> it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to humble myself. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. Humble yourself before God. The model that Jesus, our commander, set before us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 through 11, the Bible says that Jesus being found in human form, listen to this, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. If you're going to look like Jesus, when you're squeezed, humility is going to come out. Arrogant, prideful attitudes of behavior are flushed out of the believer when we follow our commander in putting on humility. Then he says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, and put on meekness. Well, what is meekness? Well, humility is the attitude that I have about how I treat myself, how I look at myself. Meekness, on the other hand, is the way we treat other people. Some have described meekness as power under control. So to put on meekness means that we put off being in control. The greatest demonstration of meekness was, again, when Jesus was tortured and spat upon and beaten beyond imagination and then hung on a cross and nailed to the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. The songwriter said he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world to set him free. But he died alone for you and me. And if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we're going to be, be meek in the way we deal with other people. And so Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. And finally, he says, put on patience. To wrap it all up, put on patience. We put on patience when we are willing to put off being annoyed or upset or angry when things don't go our way, when things go the opposite of our way. What is patience? Well, patience is exercising self-control rather than lashing out or complaining when, when things don't go our way. So these five attributes are critical in, in, in building a healthy church. When, when, the, when the members of a church have these five attributes, then we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. And when we're squeezed, these are the things that we want to come out of our life. So what changes do you need to make today in your behavior in order to build a Christ-like character with unity and effectiveness in being a church that models to the world what it looks like to have Jesus as our commander. To look more and more and more and more like Jesus every day of our life. See, Paul painted the picture of Jesus with these attributes. And with, this with these attributes, when we look in the mirror, our identity looks like Jesus. 
I wonder how many of us are willing to change. Change the way we think and change the way we act in order to let the power of God be displayed in our life and allow us to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. Now, understand, Paul's already made this really clear. The purpose of these attributes is not to work your way to God, not to be acceptable before God. That's, that's not the purpose. You come to know God by faith through the grace of Jesus alone, not by working our way to Him. But when we know Him, when we are believers in Christ, these attributes become a natural part of our being, our, of, our, of our reflection of Jesus. Um, when you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to change your diet, you need to change your exercise habits, you need to change your sleeping habits, or you're going to have a heart attack. Does the doctor telling you that uh, make you well and heal you? <laughs> no, it's a prescription to follow. And if you don't follow that, you're going to have a heart attack. You have to listen to what the doctor prescribes. Our commander, Jesus Christ himself, has said to us, you know, make the changes necessary so that the attributes that I've given you, the attributes that I've provided for you, can come out of your life when when you are stressed, when you are squeezed. You have to choose to follow the command of our commander, Jesus Christ himself. And that leads to number three. Alive in the name of Christ means that believers have new actions in Jesus. Now, this is similar, but it's a little bit different. The attributes are the qualities that are available to us through the power of Christ. But there are two actions here that Jesus calls believers to have as a part of our life. Look at verse 13. He says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The attributes of Jesus result in a new way of acting for the believer. Are you aware that our world is not sympathetic to following Jesus? Uh, it's often a challenge to bear with one another because we're all different. We're all made differently in the image of God. Fellowship in the church is only possible when believers can endure something unpleasant or difficult while realizing some people have different feelings and different opinions. Now this is not talking about doctrinal or sinful issues. We've covered that in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3. There's no compromise when it comes to sin. And we need to call one another out when it comes to sinful behaviors. We looked at some of these things that are non-negotiable last week, and especially verses 5 through 9. Non-moral biblical issues, though, call for bearing with one another. This is not optional in the church. We have different opinions. We have different backgrounds. Anytime two or more people are together, there's a potential for conflict. And listen to me. Conflict is not bad. Conflict is good. Conflict brings out creativity and innovation when it's dealt with appropriately. So the key is to know how to handle conflict. Paul says, bear with one another. That implies that there's some negotiation, there's some give and take when it comes to personality kinds of issues and preference kinds of issues that are not moral or sinful. You must be willing to compromise. So knowing Jesus generates what we do and produces actions that look like Jesus. And the first action that Paul mentions here is bearing with one another. Because bearing with one another brings the blessings of God into, into our church and into our lives. There's some practical areas where we learn to bear with one another. Let me just share a few of those with you right now. 
First of all, avoid making critical statements in your family, in the church especially, and in life in general. Uh, there's no place for a critical spirit among a child of God, among one who's reflecting Jesus. Learn to ask non-threatening questions. Can I tell you how I feel about that and, and, and why? Now, there's nothing threatening about that. You're talking about how you feel about something. Um, when's a good time for us to talk? You know, every time you want to discuss something may not be the best time for a person to talk to you about that. Say, when's a good time for us to have this discussion? We need to talk about this. When can we talk about it? Here's a good one. How can I pray for you? <laughs> I mean, that's a powerful way to bring unity and harmony into maybe something that you have a conflict and opinion over. How can we pray about this together? Then a practical way is to, you know, consider your church involvement. Get to know as many people as possible in our church. Go outside the comfort zone. Last night we had the Thanksgiving dinner here and I challenged people to find five people that they didn't know before they came to get to know five more people. Get to know people who are part of the church fellowship. So Paul says, be patient and forbearing with all people. Patient and forbearing with all people. Then in verse 13, he gets to one of the Probably the most challenging, difficult things for human beings to bear as a believer. Verse 13, he says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, here's the key. Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Believers bear with one another and forgive one another, as the Lord has forgiven. Are you aware how much God forgives you for when you ask Him to forgive you? He, he forgives you of every sin that you've ever committed when you ask Him to forgive you. John, 1 John 5 says, if, you, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how much God wants to forgive you. As we have been forgiven, we are to forgive. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So to forgive means what? Well, it means that you no longer hold someone responsible for hurting or offending you. You release them. It's a conscious and a deliberate decision to release the feelings of resentment and revenge towards someone who has harmed you. It's an essential action for believers if we're going to act like Jesus. The best picture I can think of of unforgiveness is someone doing something to hurt me, to offend me. And me putting myself in jail while I hold the keys. And me staying in jail to punish them for hurting me. That's the picture of unforgiveness. The picture of forgiveness is me knowing that someone has hurt me, someone has harmed me, and then me releasing them, not holding them responsible, taking the keys, unlocking the, the door to the jail, and walking out free. I no longer hold them responsible. That doesn't mean that they are not responsible for what they've done. I, don't hold, I can't control what someone has done for me anyway. And when I put myself in uh, holding them responsible, I'm putting myself in jail. I'm holding myself in bondage. And forgiving them is unlocking that door and stepping out into freedom. I read a number of stories this week looking for examples of those who have taken the high road of forgiveness. 
Uh, many of you have stories, as I do, of people that have forgiven me and people that I've forgiven. But the clearest picture I can think of of how forgiveness works is from a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. She was put into a Jewish concentration camp. She watched her father and her mother and her sister be killed in the Jewish concentration camp and die in the Jewish concentration camp. She survived the concentration camp, and a few years after, she was telling her story of how God had saved her through Jesus. She gave her testimony, and she presented an invitation for people to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. After the service was over, this guy started walking toward her. And as he started walking toward her, she recognized him as the, the jailer who had been responsible for her father and mother and beloved sister losing their life. He came close to her and he stuck out his hand and he said, Sister, you mentioned Auschwitz in your testimony. I was a jailer. She said, I know. She said the hardest thing in her life that she ever had to do was receive his hand of forgiveness and forgive him for taking the life of her, fa her father and mother and sister. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. Why? Because we have been forgiven. That's the degree to which we should forgive. And the clearest example of acting like Jesus is to forgive as we have been forgiven. Are you aware that you are most like Jesus when you choose to forgive? So you're alive in Jesus when you choose to forgive. He is our example. Finally this morning, alive in His name means that believers have a new reflection of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, a reflection is what you see when you look in the mirror. Verse 14 says, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness are held together by love. What is love? Well, in the definition of Jesus, love is giving, expecting nothing back in return. If you want to be like Jesus, that's what you do. You reflect Jesus by loving people, expecting nothing back in return from them. Love means that, uh, you know, you act like Jesus, and the world can't offer that. The world can't give expecting nothing back in return. Only the power of Jesus gives you that ability. So this is what I mean by believers having new reflection in Jesus. It's looking into the mirror and seeing Jesus. And that's the way believers want the world to see us. They want to see Jesus when they look at us. Uh, prayer is a perfect source of peace. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Circle that word, thankful. The, the commander of our life, Jesus Christ, rules in our life, and gives us peace when we are willing to let the source of peace be demonstrated in our life. And the best way we can have peace in life is to not worry about things, but to pray about things. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, hopefully you have peace in your heart because the love of Jesus is giving you that peace. Prayer, again, is the perfect source of peace. When Jesus was surrounded by chaos, what did He do? He went to the Father and He prayed. The most practical request that disciples made of Jesus was teach us to pray. Peace comes through prayer. And prayer produces peace in your life, in your family, in your relationships, in your church. And the result of prayerful peace is thanksgiving. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. There's that word again. Circle that word. With thanksgiving in your hearts. Thanksgiving is generated in our heart when Christ rules in our heart and dwells in us and guides our words and deeds and produces in us a spirit of thankfulness. To dwell means to abide, to live in a place. So to start growing in Jesus, first of all, you have to know Him personally. And then He abides in you, and He produces in you growth that lets the Word of Christ live in you so that Christ can come out of you. Some of us, for example, are on a journey of reading God's Word every day, a chapter every day. Some of us are reading along one chapter a day. We're in just started the book of 2 Kings, as a matter of fact, and I invite you to join us. But reading God's Word, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you read God's Word, you see Christ. And Christ can come out of our lives through His Word. Uh, a unified, thankful church has powerful teaching and encouragement. Look at where this, this happens. Look where the interaction happens here in verse 16. The Word of Christ dwells in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How hard is it for believers to take God's Word and sit down together and just read the Bible together? I mean, we've seen some lives recently transformed just by people reading the Bible together and listening to God speak authoritatively to us through His Word. Our church offers one-on-one -on -one kind of mentoring. We have, we have a little book that, uh, that you can just take and work through together. It's called Training, How Do I Grow as a Christian by Isaac Adams. You read through this little booklet and you answer the questions together and you grow together one-on-one -on -one as believers in Christ. We have small groups where you can grow together in the small group. We have ministry teams that grow together through sharing the Word of God richly in our life. So it starts one-on-one -on -one in our heart with Jesus and then continues in our lives through our homes and through other family members studying the Word of God together. You'll notice in your worship guide, there's a question for the family. We want families to discuss together. What does it mean to be alive in the name of Jesus is our question for today. These are ways that we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And then in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our heart to God. Every Wednesday night, our worship team gathers here in this spot and studies through the passage that we're going to be teaching on Sunday morning. And the songs are intentionally chosen to focus our attention on psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that allow us to lift up spiritual worship before the Lord. And I'm so thankful, so grateful that we have a church that challenges us in the depths and in the riches and in the wealth of God's Word. What am I saying? Well, when Jesus Christ lives in you, and you teach and admonish each other and engage in spiritual and spirit-filled worship, then you will be thankful. You will be grateful. And what a great season of the year for us to experience that challenge from God's Word. And finally this morning, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, here it is again, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to read the Bible together with someone. I pray that you're making that a part of your life, either one-on-one -on -one with somebody else or in your family, in your ministry team. A unified, thankful church will share words and actions that bring glory to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. We recently attended a wedding with our family. My grandnephew got married. And at the 
wedding, I looked around the reception. There were five generations of our family. My dad was there. A couple of my brothers were there. Um, my nephews were there. My grandnephew was there. Great grandnephew was there. I mean, it was incredible. Five generations. If you looked at our family, if you walked around the room, you could probably pick out members of our family because we, we look kind of similar. We have similar mannerisms. We use the same southern kind of uh, dialect. I mean, that people make fun of where we go different places. But it, it's hard to mistake the bird boys, the bird family, boys and girls. Why? Because we're family. We come from the same source. And that's the picture Paul is painting here that the church ought to like. We ought to have similar characteristics. We ought to have, although we're different, there ought to be things, attributes about us and actions in our life that demonstrate the fact that we're making all of life about Jesus. And I pray today that that is you. It starts by knowing Him. See, the goal of life is for us to give thanks to God for making us look like Jesus. And you begin to look like Jesus when you accept Him as your personal Savior and Lord. When you accept Him by faith through the grace that He offers and you identify with Him. Then you put on these attributes of Jesus so that when you look in the mirror, your actions will look like Jesus. You bear with one another. You forgive one another. You realize that you're a body, you're a team, you're working together to glorify Him. And that's my prayer for Palmetto Shores Church. Know Jesus and make all of life about Him. Make disciples who make disciples because that brings glory to God. And when we do that, we will be thankful. So what does it mean to be alive in the name of Jesus? Well, it means that we draw life from Jesus. It means that we're sustained in our life by Jesus. It means that we go to battle under the command of our commander, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we stand strong and we stand true in the name of Jesus. And I pray that that's your desire today. I pray that that's your commitment today. Do you know Him? If not, Receive Him into your life today. And if you've received Him into your life today, let's look like Jesus more and more and more and more every day. God, I thank You today for calling us to be part of Your army, to be part of putting on Your armor and going to battle for You by looking like You in this world that we live. God, I pray today that you'll give us the strength to do that. I pray that abiding in Christ and Christ dwelling in us, not of ourselves, but because you have loved us and identified us and called us to be yours. God, help us to show you off today by the way we think and by the way we act. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. Amen.